look at John chapter 10, a few verses from John 10. Um, considering this very uh, reality that we just prayed toward the security of the shepherd. Um, Billy preached and covered all of John 10 uh, exceptionally well over the past two weeks. And so what we'll do now is hone in on one particular uh, true doctrinal reality that Jesus speaks of here in the middle of this discourse with the Jews. And as uh, Jesus' disciples are are listening, this is what we'll consider today is actually um, one of the key points of our Redeemer Church statement of faith. Uh, and it is the reality of the believer's security in the shepherd and the good shepherd. Um, so let me ask just a couple questions and then we'll look at, the, look at the text. One, do you believe that you can lose your salvation? Do you believe that you can lose your salvation? And most folks who've sat under any type of teaching along the lines of what we teach for any extended amount of time would say a resounding no. There's no way we can lose our salvation. The follow-up question to that is, do you live like you can lose your salvation? Do you live like you can lose your salvation? Do you live as if you are seeking to earn God's favor? As you're seeking to earn God's blessing in your own system of merit and accomplishment? The eternal security of the believer has implication, sure, for us eternally. For after this life is over. But eternal security of the believer has implication for us now as well. And so this is not just a doctrinal truth that we hold to for the life that is to come. This is also a doctrinal truth that we hold to for the life that is here and now for us. And so today's text presents for us some of the clearest instruction that we have in the Bible regarding eternal security. And so the, the, the reality of the truth here is that if you belong to Jesus, if, that's all caps right there, bold, underline, if you belong to Jesus, He is your good shepherd. You belong to him and he belongs to you, as we'll see. You are secure in his safekeeping. He will never kick you out of the fold and you can never remove yourself from the fold. And this is good news to us. And so according to scripture, you are secure. So let's pick up the text just to get the storyline here in verse 22. And we'll read through verse 30. At that time, the feast of dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not part of my flock. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. The security of the shepherd. One statement we make in our introductory matter here as John is setting the context for this discourse from Jesus is that only true sheep actually know the shepherd. Only true sheep actually know the shepherd. So the Jews come around Jesus as he's in the temple and the portico of Solomon, Solomon's colonnade there, probably protecting himself from the elements of the winter. And they ask him, how long will you keep us in suspense? Verse 24, literally, how long do you intend to continue to annoy and provoke us? And as Billy 
pointed out last week, the, these religious leaders were wondering if Jesus was actually their type of Messiah, their political leader, their, their one who was going to come and release them from the bondage of Rome, just as had happened historically for them. And in a public setting up to this point, Jesus had not, he had not given any indication that he was in fact this true Messiah. He had declared himself to be, I am, I am the, the, the bread, I am the light of the world. He'd made these statements. Uh, he declared himself at the end of chapter 8 as before Abraham was, I am, clearly saying, I am Yahweh God, at which point the Jews picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus had never said clearly, I am the one you are asking about. The only time he ever said that was to the Samaritan woman at the well when he said, I who speak to you am he. And then the, the blind guy uh, in, in chapter 9 as well. And so for Jesus to have, to have given an affirmation or a denial to their question at this point would have confirmed their false pretense of the Messiah that they, that they had hoped was going to release them and restore Israel back to prominence and do all of these things that they wanted to see happen. So in true fashion, what does Jesus do? He, d- he answers them indirectly direct, right? He answers them and says in verse 25, I told you and you do not believe. So they ask, they, they ask, if you are the Christ, tell us plainly. So the expected response is what? I am the Christ or I am not the Christ. I am the Messiah or I am not the Messiah. And Jesus doesn't respond either way. He says, I told you, you do not believe. So his works, he says, testify to him. I told you, do not believe his, his, his words, but also his works testify to him. On further in verse 25, the works I do in my father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you're not part of my flock. And so Jesus says to them, if you want to know who I am, listen to what I'm saying and watch what I'm doing. And what he says and what he does indicates that he is, in fact, the Messiah, but they just have a messed up view of the Messiah that they're expecting. And so Jesus tells them twice in two verses here that they don't believe. And the reason why they don't believe is they are not his sheep. Verse 26, you do not believe because you are not part of my flock, which brings us two necessary reminders, especially as we think about a church saturated culture in which we live. One, belonging to Jesus does not depend on ancestry. Belonging to Jesus does not depend on ancestry. They had the spiritual heritage. They were experts in the Old Testament. They were experts in the law. And they should have seen the one standing before him and heard the one standing before them and and watched the works of the one standing before him and should have seen the Old Testament come to life and should have been able to say, this is him. But belonging to Jesus doesn't depend on ancestry. And so they felt they felt they had a right to the Messiah. There's 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 a a huge amount of of Jewish nationalism that rises up in all of their conversations that they have with Jesus. Like they are they are better than the rest of the world because they feel like they have a leg up in this spiritual reality. It sounds very, very Americanish, doesn't it? That's that's how we think most of the time, like we Americans are here to go to places like we just talked about to help out the rest of the world. The same grace that we are bringing to the rest of the world is is the grace that's necessary for us as Americans to be saved. And it's the grace that was necessary for these Jews to be saved. So belonging to Jesus doesn't depend on ancestry. Also, belonging to Jesus does not depend on knowledge. Their problem was not a lack of information. The problem was not a lack of information. They heard the words of Jesus. They saw the works of Jesus. And so belonging to Jesus does not depend on knowledge. It's not just knowledge, 
that brings us into the fold of the good shepherd. Their, the bottom line of their problem was verse 26. They were not sheep. But you do not believe because you're not part of my flock. They do not believe. They had not been given to Jesus by the Father. John chapter 6, verses 36, 37, and then verse 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And so, according to what Jesus says in verse 26, we're reminded, we're taught, we're instructed that we're made true sheep and we believe. We're made sheep and we believe. We believe and we are made sheep. These are inseparable acts. No one becomes a sheep without believing. No one believes without becoming a sheep that belongs to the good shepherd. And to not believe like these Jews in this conversation here is to remain in the default position of all of humanity and that is condemned. That's what Jesus said in John chapter 3 and verse 18. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. Current status default status because he has not believed in the only son of god and so while we see god is making his sheep and divinely drawing people into the flock we also see there's a response that's required on the part of the sheep that of believing and in this reality with these jews to whom jesus is speaking the fact that they are not sheep doesn't excuse them from condemnation it actually indicts their condemnation and so only true shepherd, only true sheep know the shepherd. And so secondly, let's let's consider starting in verse 27, this relationship between the shepherd and the sheep. And I've prayed and can, even praying now that these words that Jesus shares to the Jews that we get to read are both convicting and encouraging to us. That the beauty of what Jesus is saying here and the, and the picture that he's painting for those who belong to him provide a, an incredible encouragement, this relationship between the shepherd and the sheep. And so Jesus transitions the conversation to an explanation of his true sheep. In the backdrop, we won't go into it extensively. We'll, we'll look at several verses from the first part of chapter 10. But the backdrop is Jesus' proclamation of himself as the door and as the good shepherd. In verse 7, verse 9, he's the door, he's the good shepherd. In verses 11 and 14. And so in verse 27, Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice, I know them, and they follow me. So the first reality just in verse 27 that we see in this in the context of this relationship is one, the shepherd owns the sheep. The shepherd owns the sheep. Notice how Jesus refers to the sheep. He doesn't say the sheep. He doesn't say all the sheep. He says, verse 27, look at it, my sheep, my sheep. The shepherd owns the sheep. And this is good news for us. If you look back to verse three in chapter 10. Jesus said to him, the day the gatekeeper opens the shepherd, the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name. He calls his own sheep. He calls those sheep in whom he the sheep he possesses by name. Going on in verse four, he says, when he's brought out all his own, he goes before them all his own. The, the shepherd. The shepherd truly owns the sheep. And so the context here is in the first century culture. Like we, we have to work at this. We have to work at this illustration because I'm, I'm guessing not many of us have herds of sheep out behind the house that we're caring for and are roaming through the hills that we have to protect and, and lead and all these things. And so in, in the first century culture, this is this is what would happen. This is a livelihood for shepherds. 
And so they would lead their flocks of sheep, their flock of sheep. And in the evening time, they would bring them into the pen. And these pens were, were not made of barbed wire like we have. They weren't electric fences like we have. They were actually rocks. They used what they had. They had plenty of them and they used rocks. And so they would build these pens out of rocks. And so you would either have a circle pen or a square pen, but it would be a rock wall, say three to four feet tall to keep predators out and to keep the sheep in and provide protection for the sheep in the evening. We actually saw some of these on our way off of the mountain. You could see them on the hillside. We, you could see some, well, we saw lots of flocks of sheep with shepherds leading them, but you could also see these sheep pens. And there's one way in, one way out, which helps us to understand what Jesus means when he says, I am the door. I am the door. I'm the way you get in and I'm the way you go out and find pasture. And so what would happen when Morning time would come and it's time to take the sheep out to let them graze and to find water and all of these things. The shepherd would show up and in all likelihood, this will be kind of a rented pen and the shepherd would pay to lodge his sheep in the pen. And many shepherds, say three, four, five, six shepherds would pay to lodge all of their sheep. And so you would have several flocks of sheep in this pen. And so instead of going up to the pen and looking for all the red ear tags indicating that that those sheep belong to that one shepherd who's calling his sheep out, the shepherd would walk up and just start calling his own sheep and they would hear his voice. They would the shepherd would quite possibly sing to his sheep. And the sheep would just start filing out of the pen following after the shepherd. The shepherd would start whistling or would have some type of some type of sound that indicated to the sheep in the pen that their shepherd is outside and now it's time to go out. And all of those sheep belong to that one shepherd. And Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice. My sheep hear my voice. And so the shepherd calls his own and his own sheep are responding to him. And so the sheep belong to the shepherd because the shepherd is this door. He is the access way. Jesus is the access way. And he's also the shepherd. Now, let's be clear what this price of ownership cost. The shepherd owns the sheep in this illustration, in the picture that Jesus is painting with his words here in verse 27. The shepherd owns the sheep because he ransomed the sheep from their sin. The shepherd owns the sheep because he actually died for the sheep. He bought them. Ephesians 1, 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. Jesus himself said, I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And in this context, for the shepherd to die was detrimental to the sheep. Like the sheep were at the mercy of all the predators and the thieves and the robbers for the shepherd to die. But in the spiritual context for the shepherd to die, it is good for the sheep. In fact, it is, on, it is the only way that someone becomes a sheep. And so if you are a sheep, you belong to Jesus. You are his. Just imagine the depths of that reality. He looks at you. If you belong to him, he looks at you and he says, mine. If you belong to him, you are his. You are a sheep. And so the shepherd owns 
the sheep. He says, my sheep. Also, the shepherd calls his sheep. Going on in verse 27, the shepherd calls the sheep. Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice. This is a reality of calling the sheep out of the sheep pen into the, into the pastures. And when you see shepherds on hillsides, even today in that context, you don't see them running from running behind the sheep, beating them with sticks and whips. You see them out in front of the sheep and they're just talking and they're just singing and the sheep are just following along after their shepherd. And this this idea of my sheep hear my voice points clearly to this personal relationship that the sheep actually have with their shepherd. He calls them by name and they hear his voice. Back to verse 3, to him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice. Verse 4, the sheep follow him for they know his voice. Verse 16, chapter 10, verse 16, Jesus said, other sheep I have that are not of this fold... Speaking of Gentiles outside of the Jewish reality, I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice. There will be one flock and one shepherd. The shepherd's voice is distinct. Verse three, the sheep hear his voice and Jesus knows the names individually of all his sheep. He calls them and they hear him. And so we have whatever, 50, 60 people in this room. Let's just make an assumption that 40 of us are actually sheep. Jesus knows the names of 40 individual people all at one time and knows them intimately all at one time. The shepherd calls his sheep, my sheep, hear my voice. This, this, this reality of deep personal relationship. He calls our name and we hear his voice. So the shepherd owns the sheep. The shepherd calls his sheep. Also, the shepherd knows the sheep. Verse 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them. And I know them. There's intimate knowledge with the shepherd. The shepherd's voice is specific. Back to verse 3. He calls his own sheep. You you see it there in verse 3? Look at it. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name. By name. There's no bulk reality in the sheepfold. There's a bunch of us, thankfully. But there's a bunch of us individually. Jesus isn't surprised by anyone turning up as a sheep. <laughs> you, you, didn't, you didn't find your way into the sheepfold and then Jesus be like, how did you get here? No, he, he calls you by name. Individually, personally, specifically. And this reminds us that, that Jesus knew everything about you and he still died so you could be made one of his sheep. He knew everything you would think, everything you would say, everything you would do, and he still made you his sheep. Something's wrong when we've graduated from that reality. (laughs) When we think we have attained to a point where it's actually good for Jesus to have us as his sheep. Like it just makes sense. We're entitled to being sheep. Your good shepherd knows everything about you, past, present, future, and he still called you by name. He knew what you were bringing to the table at the moment he redeemed you, and he knew what you were going to keep bringing to the table after he redeemed you, and he still saw fit to redeem you as his sheep. What is this? My goodness, this is grace. This is free, unmerited favor from God, because I know... Not so sure about the rest of you, but I know what I bring to the table. And I know the wretched person that I am. And to think that Jesus still called me by name is astounding. 
It makes no sense. It can only be explained in that one word of grace. Your good shepherd knows everything about you. He knows the sheep and he loves you. And he loves you. You see, for us, this idea of the picture of the shepherd and the sheep, like we think domesticated farm animals where we don't really care for these beings that we're taking care of on the farm. They're merely there for a purpose. But in this context, the shepherd has a distinct relationship with his sheep. And this relationship is based on love. Chapter 10 and verse 14, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. The shepherd knows the sheep, but also, here's good news, the sheep know the shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. This mutual knowledge of the shepherd and his sheep indicates that Jesus is pointing to an an intimate, a personal relationship. Which reflects, going to verse 15, this relationship of fellowship based on love that's between the Father and the Son of God. And so, the shepherd knows his sheep. Be encouraged by that. Let your heart be just undergirded with this reality. Fight against the schemes of the enemy with this truth that the Lord Jesus knows you and He still called you. If you're His sheep. If you belong to Him. There's no thing that you brought to the table then. There's no, there's no thing that you'll bring to the table later that causes him surprise. He sees past, present, future now. And still calls you by name. And so the good shepherd knows his sheep. Also, the good shepherd leads his sheep. It's the last statement of verse 27. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. The shepherd's voice is direct. He leads them out going back to verse 3. The sheep hears his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. And true sheep follow the shepherd. How do I know if I'm a sheep? Here's a diagnostic question for us. How do you know if you're actually a sheep? Do you follow the shepherd? Is there a consistent pattern of obedience in your life? That's what, that's what follow means. And so when Jesus says, I, I know them and they follow me, he's clearly saying, The direction that I'm going is the direction that they go. He leads, we follow. What is the essence of being a Christian? The essence of being a Christian is being a follower of Jesus. Right? We follow Him. We read the instruction that we have in His Word. We follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit within our lives. And we follow after Christ. And so this consistent pattern of obedience has to be an indication of whether or not someone actually belongs to the shepherd. And so sheep belong to the shepherd. Sheep hear the shepherd's voice. Sheep are known by the shepherd and sheep follow the shepherd. And so the question that's demanded out of verse 27 is, are you a sheep? Truly. Actually. Not trusting in works of self-righteous religion like the Jews to whom Jesus is speaking here. But are you actually a sheep? One who has responded to the grace of God in Christ Jesus and now can say, he is my good shepherd. I am a sheep. So there's this relationship between the shepherd and the sheep. And then we go on starting in verse 27 and we see that sheep are secure in the shepherd's safekeeping. 
Sheep are secure in the shepherd's safekeeping. And so some reasons why we as sheep are secure in the shepherd's safekeeping. One, verse 28, the shepherd gives to the sheep eternal life. Jesus said, I give them eternal life and they will never perish. I give them eternal life. They will never perish. He does not say they gain eternal life. He does not say they earn eternal life. He does not say they work toward eternal life. He says, I give them eternal life. It is a gift of his grace. And the Pharisees problem, the Jews problem, and so many people in the church problem is that we're really good at trying to earn eternal life. Right? That's, they were trusting in who they were and what they did to merit favor before God. When in reality, trusting in what they were and who they did actually brought condemnation on themselves. And so their problem and often our problem is that we try to earn eternal life. Salvation by works actually doesn't work though. By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone do we receive eternal life. Jesus says, I give them eternal life. Now, in reality, let's, let's, let's think about this. How does the, the good shepherd grant to the sheep eternal life? How does, that actually, how does that transaction actually occur? Well, look at verse 16. Jesus said, And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I laid down my life, that I may take it up again. And so the good shepherd grants eternal life to a sheep by actually giving up his own life that he is then in turn going to take up again. And so the, the shepherd gives to the sheep eternal life. And we receive this gift as a gift of grace. So sheep, the shepherd gives to the sheep eternal life. Secondly, sheep will never perish. That's verse 28. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. Chapter 10, verse 9. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. Colossians 3, 3, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And so we will never perish. What is the greatest fear that people have? It is not public speaking, it is death. <laughs> the greatest fear that all humanity has. What do we try to avoid at all costs? We try to avoid death. But for the Christian, for the sheep, there's no reason to fear death. Because though we may die, we will never die. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. Death has no dominion over us because the one who has called us by name to himself actually expressed triumph and victory over death through the resurrection. And so we can rejoice even in the face of death because we will never perish. So I give them eternal life and they will never perish. Jesus goes on in verse 28 and says, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. This this phrase is interesting here. No one will snatch them out of my hand. It is a definitive statement. It cannot happen. No one will snatch them out of my father's hand. No one includes everyone. This applies to all. No one will snatch them out of my hand. He doesn't say, hopefully, nobody's going to get yanked. He doesn't say, if this thing goes right, everybody's going to stay in my hand. He says very clearly. No one will snatch them out of my hand. The thief, the robber that he refers to in the beginning parts of chapter 10, the wolf in verse 12 of chapter 10, they will never overpower the good shepherd and do damage to the sheep. The sheep is secure in the safekeeping of his good shepherd. 
And no one will snatch them out of his hand. Now, does this mean that for the sheep, life will be smooth, easy, grand, glorious? Uh, Certainly not. Actually means that all of the forces of hell come against us because we've now declared allegiance to the one who has victory over all of those forces. A prime example is that of Job from the Old Testament. But the example of Job also reminds us that for those who belong to the good shepherd, no one can snatch them out of his hand because Job was only permitted to do that which God permitted him to do. You remember how the story goes? There's this divine, there's this cosmic conversation between God and Job and God is, hey, where have you, I mean, between God and Satan and God says, where have you been? Well, I've been going all throughout the earth looking for somebody. And Satan doesn't bring up Job. God brings up Job. God says, well, have you considered my servant Job? And so then Satan's like, you know, funny you mention him. He has got it made. And if you weren't so good to him, he would surely curse you. And so then God tells him what? Get after it, big boy. But here's your line. Don't touch his person. You cannot affect his body. And so Job loses family, loses possessions, like loses all kinds of stuff in just a moment. And his confession just stays with the Lord. He still praises the Lord, even in the midst of his immense suffering, such that none of us have ever experienced. And so then there's a follow up conversation between God and Satan. And the same thing happens. God permits Satan to do only that which God permits him to do. And Satan is on a very tight leash from the sovereign king of the universe, which helps us to understand how Jesus can say, no one will snatch them out of my hand. There is no power that is greater than me, the good shepherd, is Jesus' point. No one will snatch them out of the shepherd's hand. But then in verse 29, Jesus brings another dynamic into this conversation of security and says, my father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. He uses a little bit different language here. In verse 28, he says, no one will snatch them out of my out of my hand. And then in verse 29, he says, my father who's given, who's given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. And so we've gone from no one will a definitive statement to no one is able to, no one can, no one has the power. No one has the power necessary to pull one of the sheep out of the safekeeping of the good shepherd. And Jesus is reminding us that the Father, God, is the greatest power in the universe. He is omnipotent. He possesses all power that is to be possessed. And He has given the sheep to the Good Shepherd. And no one has the power necessary to snatch them from the hand of the Good Shepherd or the Father. Meaning we are in both hands at one time. Pointing to this unity, verse 30, I and the Father are one. This unity that is within the Godhead. Not unity of person, but unity of purpose. Unity of function, unity of essence with I and the Father are one. No one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. No one will snatch them out of my hand. Jesus is going to make this statement later as he's praying in the garden just before his crucifixion. He says, I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. He's referring to those who followed after him. He's praying to his Father, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you've given me, that they may be one even as we are one. 
While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you've given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them is lost. Not one of them is lost. In that snapshot of Jesus in the garden, we're reminded of John chapter 10, verses 28 and 29. No one will snatch sheep out of the shepherd's hand, and no one can. This is a secure deal for us, church. This is a deep reality for us, and it's on the basis of the functional unity that is within God Himself. I and the Father are one. And so if, all caps, bold, underline, emphasized here, if you are one of His sheep, you will always be one of His sheep. You can't revoke your status as a sheep. You can't turn your back on your good shepherd. He won't allow it. Richard, it's awfully bold. How can you say that? Because he said it. No one will snatch them out of my hand, not even you. No one is able to snatch them out of my hand, not even you. You can't revoke your status, but also, here's the other side of that same coin. He won't kick you out of the fold. He will never say, okay, Richard, that's it. I'm done with you. You're out. Hope you enjoy your time as a sheep. Now you get to die eternally because you're not a sheep anymore. That won't happen. For that to happen, God would have to go against his word. And what is one thing God cannot do, God will not do? Go against his word. And so for us as sheep, we're reminded that, that we can't revoke our status as sheep and He won't remove our status as sheep. And so what, what do we do? What do we do to, to follow after the Good Shepherd? We listen to His voice, verse 27, and we follow Him. So what do we do? What, what do we do with this text? How do, how do we embrace the reality that I trust has encouraged our hearts, challenged us, possibly even convicted us in necessary areas as sheep. Well, first, before we get into application for sheep, uh, the very clear present question that our text drives us toward is, are you actually a sheep? Do you belong to the good shepherd? And if your confession is, you know, I thought so, but I, I, no, I'm not a sheep. I don't belong to the good shepherd. Well, then the good news, the good shepherd laid down his life for you. Repent and believe on the Lord's shepherd and you will be saved. Repent and believe. It's not praying this after me. It's not going through an expression of action or anything of that nature. It's just if the Holy Spirit of God is drawing you to Christ this morning, then repent and believe. And the good news of the Bible is that you become a sheep. For those who are sheep, this text reminds us of a few points. One. This text informs our salvation. This text informs our salvation. We are saved by being made sheep and believing on the good shepherd. The father gives us to the good shepherd and we enter by the door and we are made his sheep. No one comes to the father, but through Christ. We'll get to that in a few weeks. No one comes to me unless the father who sent me draws him. And so God and God the Father, God the Spirit, God the Son are working in harmony with one another to redeem you and to redeem me. And so this text informs our salvation. This reminds us of how we are actually saved. 
This text also informs our sanctification. True sheep follow the good shepherd. True sheep follow the good shepherd. If you belong to the good shepherd, then just live like a sheep. This is not complicated. (laughs) We've turned the Christian life into some mystery that only a few can discover. The Christian life is not complicated. If you belong to the good shepherd, live like a sheep. How? Read verse 27. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. We spend time in the word. We are filled with the spirit. We are in the community of the church and we follow Christ. We obey him. We obey him. This text informs our sanctification. Eternal security does not give us the privilege to live life as we please. It actually gives us the privilege to live life as sheep who belong to the good shepherd. And so this text informs our sanctification. It informs our salvation, our sanctification. And then lastly, this text informs our security. If, caps, bold, underline, if you're one of his sheep, you will always be one of his sheep. You can't revoke your status. He won't kick you out of the fold. So live like a sheep. In fact, you can't lose that which is not yours to lose. When David is in the throes of conviction and repentance, and in Psalm 51, he's crying out for God to renew him. What does he say? Restore to me the joy of your salvation. We attach this my word on there so often that is not what david said david realized something that we have to realize if it's my salvation that i can give it up at any point but salvation is of god and i get to be the free will beneficiary of this gift that is salvation and so you can't lose that which is not yours to lose salvation is of god salvation is from god it's by god and it's for god And this is for our good. This is for our good. Your ultimate eternal security rests in the good keeping of your good shepherd. Who loves you and gave himself for you. 